All right. Well, if you're using the restroom, getting coffee, giving your offering, just make your way in as soon as you can. But for the rest of us, it is time to start. Everybody say this with me. Going through. That's right. Life is a series of highs and lows. Did you know that? No. Life is a series of ups and downs, highs and lows. Say this with me. I cannot always control. Come on, we can do better than that. I cannot always control what happens to me, but I can control my response to it. It's true. Highs and lows, ups and downs, valleys. There's a verse I didn't quote in first service, but it said Deuteronomy 11.1, I believe, or it's verse chapter 11 for sure. And the Lord says, the promised land, the land of promise that I'm bringing you into is a land of hills and valleys. So it's possible even to be a believer and God is bringing you into promise and he's bringing you into the things that he has for you. But in between, in that land, there is hills and there's valleys. There's highs and there are lows. What a valley is, is the space in between. So what happens is, is we go to these places, particularly with the Lord, if we're going to talk from that context, we go to these places with the Lord and he brings us to a high place. And from this high place, he shows you something. That's always his intent. His intent is to reveal something to you, to show you something, to direct you, to change you in some way, to take you from where you are to where you need to be. This is what the Lord does. So he takes you to the mountain, and when you're there with him, he's showing you something. And he's saying, this is who you are. This is what I have for you. This is where I want you to go. This is what is going to become. He's showing you that. But in between these two high places is a space called a valley. Right? Everybody know that? If you ever look at mountains, you can't get from one mountaintop to the next without going first going through a valley. Everybody's going to have valleys. Valleys must be gone through. What can we say? What, what, what can we say about valleys? We have to have a reality check as Christians sometimes because we pretend. Christians are the ones we love to pretend. We're pretenders. We are. We're either this person. We either, we either pretend to be this. We're always like, oh, brother, just pray for me. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. We're always walking around either like that or we, re we pretend that there's absolutely nothing wrong at any time under any circumstances. Yeah, we should get an Oscar. Exactly. When the truth is, we are moving from glory to glory. We are moving from good to good. But sometimes in between the good and the good, there's a space in between. And so what do we need to know about valleys? Valleys have to be gone through. You, in order to go from where you are to where God has you, you're going to have to pass through a valley. I would love to have the strategic plan that shows me how to avoid the valleys. I'd love it. But I can't. I have to go through valleys. They must be gone through. They're the spaces in between. Spaces in between where you are and where you're going. We teach Shazam Christianity, that we just receive Jesus and everything's fine and everything works out. When in fact, it's a journey and it's a process. Say this with me. Jesus, Jesus is the God of the valley. The of the yes, he is. There's this chapter in the book of 1 Kings. Say this with me, Ben-Hadad. Ben there you go. So there's this group of people, and they are coming against the children of Israel. There's a king in this chapter. His name is Ahab, and he is not a very good king. But God is faithful to him, even though he is not a good king. Because God had made a covenant with his ancestor David. Because God was going to be faithful to his people, even if they were faithless. Aren't you glad? The Bible says, even if you are faithless, he is faithful. He will not deny himself. He is going to be faithful to Ahab, even in spite of Ahab's disobedience. In spite of everything that Ahab was doing, the Lord is still going to be faithful to Ahab. Ahab, of course, went really, he kept going further and further, and eventually he went off the cliff. But the Lord was merciful to him every step of the way and was constantly trying to reach Ahab. A very powerful prophet was sent to him named Elijah. But Ahab had a very bad wife named Jezebel. And we all know that, and we all have that, if you're not familiar with that story. So it was all this conflict. Ahab was always going back and forth, and he couldn't quite settle it, but the Lord was being faithful to him. What's happening here is there's a guy named Ben-Hadad, and they come from, a, the, Israel is in the south, this nation is in the north, and they're called Assyrians. 
It's modern-day Syria, but it was, an, it was an empire called Assyria. Because it was more than just one nation. It was the whole region. And there was a king that is coming down from the Assyrians named Ben-Hadad. And he had invaded Israel. Israel was divided in two at the time. Israel was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They had had a bit of a civil war. And so God's people were divided. The south was worshiping. The north didn't know what they were doing. And because they wouldn't walk fully with the Lord, the enemy kept encroaching upon what was theirs. And so this Assyrian king is coming down, and he wants to destroy Israel. Assyrians, say this with me, Assyrians, Assyrians. bad people. people. Right. You guys want some Bible history? I'll give you a little bit this morning. The Assyrians were very wicked. They were very powerful, and they ruled with an iron fist. They didn't believe. They believed in total exploitation. In other words, when they, can't, when they conquered you, they weren't interested in anything you had to offer or anything you had to All they were interested in doing was consuming and taking and literally re- extracting all the resources they could from the land in which they occupied. They would strip it down bare. Compare that, the two empires that we, would, are still, we still see traces of today, the Greeks and the Romans. With the Greeks and the Romans, when they conquered you, they would reinvest They would build things. They would put institutions in. They would put schools in. They would build cities. They would invest in the area that they conquered. And then the people would go, oh, we love Rome. They build roads. Oh, we love Rome. They build gymnasiums. Or or Greeks, they build gymnasiums. They build auditoriums. They do all these wonderful things. And what they would do is they would rule that way by investing. The Assyrians were not that way. They would take everything you had. And when the Assyrians conquered you, this is a really graphic thing, but when they, if you were ever a prisoner of the Assyrians in the ancient world, they would cut off pieces of your face. They would cut off your ears. They would cut off your nose. They would put eyes out. And so they wanted the world to know that you had been under the bondage of the Assyrians. When they took you prisoner, they would clamp a hook, a clamp, into your jaw like that. A ring would go into your jaw. They would clamp a metal, a metal necklace on you, and on the back of that, of that uh, metal plate, they would have a ring. And so the ring in your jaw would be chained to the back of the neck that was the person that was in front of you, and they would lead you captive like that, with a ring through your jaw. They were very violent. They were very wicked people. And God speaks of them very clearly because they continued to be this oppressive people and they continued to press in and do things that they didn't want to do. And the Lord told him, he said, you tell the king of Assyria, I'm going to put a hook in his jaw and I'm going to pull him out where he doesn't want to go. They also called the rod of the Assyrians. They would beat their prisoners with rods. And so when the Assyrians would capture you, they would beat you literally into submission. So it was like a party. The rods of the Assyrians would be beating you. The Lord said, I'm going to take your rod and I'm going to break it over my knee. And ultimately, Syria was brought down to nothing. Whole story there. Hezekiah, whole, the whole story in Kings that talks about this. But what's happening here is this king named Ben-Hadad of the Assyrians is coming into the land and he's trying to take Israel. Even though Ahab was a wicked king, they go in there with this massive army and Israel has this little tiny army. But they have a really big God. You understand? Tiny army, big God. So say it with me. It doesn't matter the size of my army. It only matters the size of my God. That's right. Come on. Yeah. And it isn't even about you. God will take care of you even for his namesake. He's taking care of Ahab and Ahab was not doing all the right things. Ahab was not in all the right places. Ahab was smoking, drinking and chewing and hanging out with those that were doing. He wasn't doing everything correct. He wasn't Mr. Holiness, yet the Lord was faithful to him. Because it wasn't about him, it's about the Lord himself. And so this army comes in, tries to conquer them. Little army, big God, beats them down and destroys them. And so a year later, they're scratching their head and they're going, wait a second, man. There is no reason why these guys should beat us. We need to go back in there. We're calling for a rematch, man. And so the King Hadad, Ben Hadad, puts together another army. He brings his counselors and the counselors say to him, listen, O king. The reason we lost is their God is the God of the hills. Because they believed in territorial gods and all this stuff. We fought them on the hills, which is the territory of their gods. So next time we go in there, we're going to fight them in the valley. So when we fight them in the valley, we're going to beat them. And Hadad said, great idea. Next slide. The Lord hears this and says, this is what the Lord says. Because these Arameans, they're Assyrians, but they spoke Aramaic, so they call them Arameans. Because these Arameans think the Lord is the God of the hills, 
Because they only think I deal with people in the high places and I'm not concerned about the lowly, because they think that only all I'm interested in is this and that I won't help people when they're down and out and I won't help people when they're in the valley, because that's what they say of me, I'm going to deliver them into their hands and you will know that I'm God. Say it with me. Jesus is the God of the valley. Doesn't matter how low you go, he's there. Doesn't matter how wandering you've been and what, what, what is going on in your life, he is with you. He will fight for you. Doesn't matter what you're going through, he will go through it with you. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. Come on. What do we know about valleys? Valleys are these spaces in between. It's part of the journey. If you're a Christian and you're trying to follow the Lord, God is going to lead you from glory to glory, and there's a space in between, and that's a valley. Valleys are inevitable. Sometimes things just happen. Can, we get a, can I get a witness here? Yes. Sometimes life happens. Yes. What did I do to deserve this? Probably nothing. Yes. Huh? Yes. We're always looking for blame. Sometimes we don't understand that it's a broken system. It's a fallen world. It's a broken system with broken people and broken things happen. Yes. Good things happen. To, bad things happen to good people. Valleys are inevitable. They're unavoidable. We're all going to go through valleys. Here's the deal. You don't have to stay in the valley. What happens and what's normal to the human condition is we have something go wrong. Oh, woe is me. I'm just going to stay here. And then we create an excuse to no longer move forward in life because something bad happened to you. So we're going to stay in the valley. Why are you still in the valley 10 years later? Oh, you don't know. Yeah, but wasn't that in like 1997, dude? I mean, I mean come on. I mean, When's this going to change? And we camp in the valley. You go through the valleys. You don't stay in the valleys. There's a period when you lose things. Listen, you're going to lose stuff. It's going to hurt. Life's going to inflict pain upon you. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said, but fear not, I've overcome the world. Life's going to hurt you. But just because it hurts you doesn't mean you stay there. In the book of Joshua, first thing God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, you and this people get up. Plays over, Joshua. It's done. Yesterday ended last night. Get up. They mourned for 30 days. God gave them a period of time to process the emotion. God gave them a period of time to get a new perspective. God gave them a period of time to remember and get it all out. And once they had it all out, the Lord goes, get up. Say it with me. Get up. Yeah. That's right. Don't stay in the valley. You don't know what happened to me. I'm sure I don't. But it, it, it's, it's, probably more, it's probably worse than some people have had it, and it's probably less than other people have had it. Okay? We all got it. But God does not want us staying in the valleys. It's a broken system. We end up in valleys. Sometimes the Lord leads us through something. He's calling us to here to here, so the Lord is leading you through. Other times you end up in a valley because, again, it's a broken system. Things happen to you. They just do. So you can't control what happens to you, but you can control your response to it. Sometimes we end up in valleys. Say this with me. This one's going to hurt. Poor choices. Poor choices. Come on, get it out. Ouch. Ouch. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. You made a wrong choice. You did the wrong thing. You went against your conscience. Jesus said, go right. You went left. Jesus said, go up. You went down. You know what I'm talking about. And then you get in the valley and you go, how'd I get here? Uh, duh. Poor choices lead us into the valleys. People, places, and things. Choosing poorly leads us into the valleys. Jesus has nothing to do with it. In those instances. Other times it's just a bad devil. Okay? In case you don't know, Christian, he don't like you. He doesn't like you. He's a roaring lion roaming to whom he may devour. He's trying to bring the Christian into an agreement with him. He's trying to bring things upon you, create atmospheres around you, because he wants to invoke a lie into your heart that says God doesn't love you. That's his lie. So he'll throw you into circumstances, he'll allow circumstances to come upon you, and, he cre and you're created and you find yourself in this environment where everything is telling you that God doesn't love you. Wow. Everything is telling you that you don't matter. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever do you been in these places where it says God doesn't see, he doesn't care, he doesn't know, I don't matter. Well, I know God's good, but I must not be good enough. It's either the lie that he's not good or that you don't matter. He's going to get you. He's going to try to hook you on one or the other. We got Christians that believe God is good, but they don't believe he's going to be good to them. That's just as significant of a lie as it is to believe that he is not good. 
He is good 100% all the time. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. What's that mean? He doesn't change. So guess what, people? Say it with me. If it's not good, if it's not good and it's not perfect, it's not, perfect. it's not from Jesus. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. So where does the rest of it come from? That's right. We need to ascribe the blame where it belongs. A broken system, poor choices, or a bad devil. That's where the blame belongs. God surpasses and is greater than all of those things, and he can turn it all around. But until we, can, we get out, we've got to get out of the place of where we're pointing the finger at God and we're blaming him. And until you get out of that and assign the blame where it belongs, it's not going to change. Nothing's going to change. He doesn't like you. Anybody ever see the movie Terminator? The first one? Like the very first one? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When the guy's talking, he's in the police station and they're all laughing at him. And he just goes, you don't get it. This is what he does. This is all he does. He will not stop. That's what the enemy does. He will not stop. This is what he does all the time. He is trying to invoke these things upon you. He cannot do anything to you that you cannot partner him with him on. If he brings you into an environment, he can't, you don't realize he does not have the spiritual power to sustain an attack. Do you understand that? He can bring a storm on you, but he does not have the force of will to sustain it. In other words, the storm has to go. You understand? So while the storm may visit you and you may have it on you, if the enemy is putting it on you, the only way he can get it to stay there is if you start agreeing with it. By himself, he has no power by which to sustain anything without an agreement. All he can do is visit. And I don't like him visiting. I don't want him on my lawn. I don't want him in my driveway. I most certainly don't want him in my living room. And here, no way he's sitting on my couch. <laughs> That's what we do. We partner with him. Oh, come right on in. God doesn't love you. I know he doesn't. Come on in and sit down. Tell me more. He gets you to partner with him. That's all he can do. The Bible says, don't be surprised that you're going through something. We all go through it. But see, God uses it to perfect character. God uses it. This is not his will. A fallen, broken world is not his will. It's not what he wanted. It's not what he intended. But he is so good and he is so great that he can use it for a higher purpose. This is who he is. He didn't will this, but he said, I'll use it. I can make beauty from ashes. That's what he says. Mm -hmm. I can put a river in a desert. I can make a way through that wilderness. He didn't bring the wilderness. He didn't bring the desert. He didn't bring the ashes. But he said, I'll bring something good. This is who he is. You understand this? We got to get the right perspective of who the Lord is. We have to see this. There's a, there's a verse in Ephesians, and I'm going to find it, because I've taught on it several times, but it's not coming to mind. But I remember the Greek. I think it's let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who, being God, did not consider his equality with God something that he needed to hang on to. So he set aside his, he set aside his royalty and came down and formed humanity. But when it says, let this mind be in you, you know what it means? He's going to say it with me. You know what it says? Pound it in. That's what it means in the Greek. Pound it in. Pound this into your head. Let this mind be in you. You're Christians. You need to pound some stuff into your head. You say, I don't believe it. I don't care if you believe it. Pound it into your head until you believe it. Confess it, read it, proclaim it, stand on it until you believe it. Pound it in. Come on, say it with me. Pound it in. I want you to see yourself. Give yourself a couple high karates. Go. There you go. And now look at yourself and go. Pound it in. This is how we change. And he says that, you, but I wanted, I'm making a point out of this. Just, I, this doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the teaching, but this is definitely a point, a theological point that I will make every opportunity I get. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You say, oh, look at that. God's bringing suffering. You just said we don't suffer. God doesn't bring suffering. God, brings, God allows a specific type of suffering. He does not allow more. He does not bring moral suffering, and he does not bring physical suffering in the form of disease and sickness. He does not. The Greek word for suffering is the word pasco. It's where we get the word pathos or pathios. It's where we get the root word, our word pathological. It means impulsive, compulsive, or emotional. 
So the suffering that the Bible's talking about here is not a physical problem. You go, oh, look, Jesus gave me this disease so that I can learn the sufferings of Christ. That is nowhere in your Bible. Nowhere. I didn't say you couldn't believe it. You want to believe it, go right ahead. But as for me and my house, I'm not partnering with that because it's not in the Word. It's not. It's a conjecture. You say, well, Dr. So-and-so, Professor So-and-so, the Bible theologian So-and-so, I don't care who said it. If Jesus doesn't say it, it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. What does he say? It is the word Pasco, and it is an emotional suffering. The Lord allows you to journey through emotional pain in order to understand that you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of his mouth. Why? Why? When man fell, we were spirit beings. We were created in the spirit to be spirit beings. When our ancestors, Adam and Eve, fell, we flipped. We not only were fallen, we separation, but something happened within us. God has given us emotions, and the, the purpose of the emotion are to enhance the spiritual experience. That's why Jesus gave you emotions, so that you could feel and be in contact, but the primary purpose was so that the, most, the spiritual experience could be heightened. When mankind fell, we went from spirit beings to emotional beings. And so now almost everything in our life, we're led by our emotions, aren't we? I don't feel like it. I'm just not feeling it. There is not one place in the Bible that Jesus ever tells us to do anything and he says if you feel like it. Nowhere. Nowhere. It's not that feelings don't matter to the Lord. It's just that he wants them set in their rightful place. And he wants you to do and follow and be whether you feel it or not. Obedience has nothing to do with feeling. Faith has nothing to do with feeling. We think that faith is rooted in feeling. Faith is neutral. You can believe and feel nothing. You understand that? Fear is rooted in feeling. You see the difference? And so what God is allowing us to do is suffer through the feeling in order that we come to truth to where we realize the whole time that our feelings were lying to us. And that we come on. And that we come to a greater understanding of what is true. And that way the next time you face it, come on, the feelings may not go away. But the knowledge that you have is increased. I know what I'm feeling right now, and I can't do anything about this feeling, and it won't go away, but I know I'm coming through this. Do you understand? That's the point. And so he allows you to suffer pathos, pathos. He allows you to go through things emotionally. You can be spiritually in faith, and your emotions can be freaking out. Anybody here? You can go, I know Jesus is going to come through, but I'm freaking out. And we got to understand this. There's got to be a shift within the church to where we understand the, the, the economy of heaven and we understand how this stuff works. Because we end up judging each other. Oh, if you were in faith, brother, you wouldn't be feeling anything. Where does it say that? It doesn't say that anywhere. Well, if you were in faith, brother, you wouldn't be afraid. I can be perfectly freaked out and have faith at the same time. You can do it scared. You can live scared. You can move forward scared. God told them to take the promised land. They're going up against giants. You don't think they were scared? You don't think there was any fear in them at all? Oh, it's just pure faith. They were just enshrouded in faith, brother. They were glowing in the holy light of heaven. Fearless. Fearless isn't the absence of... Fearless, courage is not the absence of fear. It is the absence of self. It is the denying of self in, in light of a higher thing. You can have faith by denying those feelings and entering into the higher thing. That's courage. Does not has anything to do with how you're feeling emotionally. You can have courage even if you're an emotional train wreck. Come on. It's true. So the Lord will allow us to go through this in order that we come to a greater understanding. And many of you have fainted along the way only to realize that God came through nonetheless. And you're like, whew. Oh, man. That almost killed me. Thank you, Jesus. Now the next time you're going to remember and then the next time you're going to remember. And then the next time you're going to remember. And then you're going to be like a stalwart and nothing's going to move you. I will not be moved. My emotions aren't going to shake me because I know. Well, how do you know? Because he did it before, he'll do it again. He did it these five times. If he did it, come on. If he did it these five times, how is he not going to do it again? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. He leads you from glory to glory. That's how David could face a giant because he faced a lion and a bear along the way. And he said, if God took down that bear, 
And he allowed me to fight the lion. Look how he fought the lion. The Bible says he grabbed the lion by the beard and struck it on the head. What? He said, when he rose up against me, I grabbed him by the beard. He said, come on, brother. Bam. And he just... That's how David was able to face a giant because he had seen, he said, the Lord has delivered me from the paw of the bear and from the mouth of the lion and the paw of the bear. I, I might be freaked out right now because this dude's way bigger than me. This is way more huge. And I may be completely out of my league here, but the Lord's going to do it. You see this? We, we judge ourselves. We condemn ourselves because we feel. We judge each other because we, because we feel. There's nothing wrong with feeling. Feeling may be there. Feeling may be ever-present. But faith is what is to override it all. Do it scared. Valleys are impartial. Everybody has them. Next slide. You don't have to worry about it. Everybody's got a valley. You say, I don't know. I know some people never have a valley. No, they're just really good at hiding the valley. That's all. They're just really good at hiding it. We all go through valleys. All of us. It's inevitable. So I'm going to give you four kinds of valleys. Right? These are valleys that we're all going to experience or we're going to encounter. And maybe you can see some things that are going on in your life right now. And you can see the transition points that God has you at. The first one is the Valley of Siddim. Say it with me. Siddim. So I'll give you a little background. So sometimes when you read the Old Testament, it's very hard to understand unless you have a background. You're like, what the heck's going on here? But if you get the background, then you can go, oh, okay. So what's going on here in this story is there's a countryside. There's five king, or four kingdoms to the north and five kingdoms to the south. And in the ancient times, they didn't necessarily have nations. They had, say it with me, city-states. That's right. So cities would grow powerful. They'd get an army, and they'd become a city-state. Then this city-state would join with this city-state and join with this city-state. Pretty soon there's five or six of them. Now they have a nation. That's how it worked. Okay? That's how the ancient world worked. So you have four, five city-states in the south, five cities, or four city-states in the north. The north were very powerful, and they had subjected the southern cities to their will and to their rule. And they had been paying tribute and giving them money, and whatever the north wanted, the south had to give them until one day they go, man, we need some cool rules around here. This isn't happening. We're tired of paying it all these dues to the north. We're going to change. We're going to fight this off. We need to get this oppression off of us. And so they decided that they weren't going to pay tribute anymore. Well, we all know how that went down. The north said, oh, Yeah. And so the northern kingdoms formed their armies, marched down to the south, and went out to fight them. And what happens here is that and they went to fight them in a place called the Valley of Siddim. It was going great. The south came out to fight the north, and then they saw the north, they freaked out, and they started running. <laughs> it was going wonderful until that point. And what happened? It says the, the, the Valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and when the king of the five, that's the south, fled... So they fell into the pits and say with me, got stuck. Mm -hmm. Say this with me. If I do not face the oppressions in my life, I will remain stuck. They fought and they stood. They got stuck. They slipped and they fell. They ran away. And what happened? The four came down and took everything they wanted. It's the valley of depression, of oppression. This is the valley that lies between understanding and freedom. God wants you free. For freedom's sake, Christ has made you free. We think it all just as the born-again experience. It's far more than the born-again experience. There's oppressions that happen in our life. Some of you live under exploitation. You allow people to constantly take advantage of you. And if you're merciful and kind and you're just helping people, that's one thing. But if you're a doormat and people just constantly take advantage of you and extract things from you without investing anything in your life, that's an oppression. Crickets, crickets. When I'm going to sit on your couch this morning. I'm going to come up. We're going to sit right down where we live. Others, it's a suppression. Some of you come from environments. You believe lies that have been imprinted upon you. Or you come from an environment that has suppressed your identity, that sees you as far less than who you are, who God has made you. You allow that to happen. That's an oppression. Who told you that? I'm a loser. Who told you that? I'm never going to succeed. Who told you that? I can do it all without God. I don't need God. Who told you that? We come from these environments that allow these things to happen to us. We have to face our oppressions. If we don't, we get stuck. They had to face the ones that were oppressing them. They had to stand up and not run from what was oppressing them. Beliefs, belief systems, we believe lies. There's emotional damage that has been done to us. It's like an elephant. Shared this in first service. You ever see how they train an elephant in a circus? 
They take the elephant when it's really young and they chain it to a pole. And for days, that elephant is yanking on that pole trying to get free, but he can't. And so eventually he gives up. And so now for the rest of the life, the trainer, all they have to do is tie a rope to a pole. And that elephant won't even pull on that rope because they have been imprinted upon that they can't be free. They've been imprinted upon that they don't have what it takes. They've been imprinted upon that this is who and what they are. You understand? When all the while, that elephant doesn't not only have the power to pull that, pull that rope off, he has the power to pull the whole thing down. But there's been an imprinting upon, the, upon this being by its handlers, if you will, that it is not good enough. There's been an imprinting upon it that it doesn't have what it takes. There's been an imprinting upon it that has reduced its identity down to insignificance. How many knows that rope can't hold an elephant? Hello? But yet its identity has been reduced to that understanding. That's an oppression. Some of you have been oppressed that way. You come from systemic family cultures. Point, finger pointing. Everybody's the same. You're no good. You piece of crap. Whatever. Pick, pick a word. We, we're, we're, all, we're, all, we're all with it. We come from systems that are broken and fallen. Some of it's cultural. The Christian doesn't understand the culture that they abide from. We are heavenly culture. We come from the kingdom culture. We are not of this world. What does that mean? We are not of this world's systems. We are not of this world's thinking. We are not of this world's actions. We are not of this world's spirit. Yet that's what we do. That is truth. But yet what, would you, what do we do? We identify ourselves more culturally with this world than we do with his. And therein lies the problem. You see yourself in light of all the things that the culture has imprinted upon you, and you never once give voice to what God has said about you. You never once give voice to what God says you are, who you are, what you are, why you are, and where you're going, and why you even exist. And we do it because we like the familiar environment. We don't do it because that's risky. We don't do it because we feel insignificant. Or we don't do it because we don't believe he's good. All of those are lies. All of them. Who told you that? The lie, the enemy is trying to incept lies into you. Incept them into you because these are now the things that you believe. These are now the paradigms from which you think and all of your responses go in accordance to the way that you believe. He's patterning into you a system of agreement and nobody can change it but you. The Holy Spirit's going to help you but the first thing you got to do is recognize the lie. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, taking every thought into captivity unto the subjection of Christ and judging all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. The weapons of our warfare are not earthly. They're not of this world. The weapons that God has given us is the first thing is to pull down the lies, not the lies of the culture and society. That may be one aspect, but the first lies, the first system of lies you've got to pull down is the ones inside of you. That's the first thing you got to rip out. And you say, I may be naked. I may be vulnerable. Yes, you may be naked. And you may be vulnerable. Fear not. The Lord will clothe you. He will put light upon you. He will put a true identity on you. He will give you, you might, everything that you know may be taken from you and you may be vulnerable because all of your belief system has been undone. But fear not, Christian. He roots out, he pulls down, but then he builds in plants. But he's not rooting out and he's not pulling down if you don't want him to. You got to want to change bad enough. You don't want to change Jesus. Say this with me. Jesus is not going to work any harder than me. He's made the provision available, but if you don't want it, it will sit there until he returns. You got to want it. You got to want it more than you like your comfort. You got to want it more than you like, ready, your dignity. You have to lie and want it more than you want yourself and your dignity. The price of revival is dignity. I don't know if you're aware of that. That's what it costs. Dignity. Revival, not even in the sense of the church. Personal revival. Personal awakening. Personal transformation. What is the payment? Dignity. All that you think you were for all that he's called you to be. All that you've held on to. Come on. Yeah. You got to want it, man. Freedom is there. I love this verse. I said it first service and I felt like it was like a song. For freedom's sake, Christ has made you free. Why does he want you to be free? Because he wants you to be free. He has no agenda. He just loves you. He wants you to be free. 
He wants you to know what freedom looks like, not just spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. There are chains on us that cannot be seen. There are bondages upon our lives that cannot be seen. And we wonder why we're stuck in tar pits. Oh Lord, what is my, what is my major malfunction? Let him tell you. Let him tell you what's wrong, man. You're going to be freaked out. We're afraid to let him tell us what's wrong. You know how I do it? I shake. Okay, Lord, what's my problem? <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Hit me! Come on! He never gives you more than you can digest. I told first service, if he told you what was really wrong with you, it would freak you out. He won't. He knows the whole thing. He knows the beginning from the end. He will give you a little at a time. Like he told the Israelites when they took the land, I'm going to give it to you a little at a time. But some of us, we don't even want the little. We just stand there. We think he's going to do it all. You've got to partner with this stuff, man. You've got to begin to recognize the dysfunctions that you have and be willing to confront it because they're your oppressors. It's what's keeping you stuck. Lies, culture, beliefs, where you've attached yourself, traumas that have happened to you. Come on. You got to believe the truth. You got to do inner healing. You got to take authority. You got to train yourself how to treat you. Somebody said you have to train people how to treat you. True. But the first person you have to train how to treat you is you. You got to train you how to treat you. You have to treat yourself with respect. You have to treat yourself with honor. You have to treat yourself with dignity. You have to treat yourself with humility. You have to treat yourself with courage. You have to treat yourself appropriately. And when you start treating yourself appropriately, then you'll train others how to treat you. Because you love others as you love yourself. But if you've not trained you how to treat you, nobody's going to treat you any different. You've got to train yourself how to treat you, and then you'll be in, and you won't allow that anymore. We have to believe truth. We've got to step into this stuff. We've got to confront the oppressions. That's how we get moving. Next slide. Valley of Eshkol. This is the valley that lies between promise and possession. This is a big one too. God's told you something. Anybody here feel like the Lord's made a promise to you at all? You have a vision, you have a dream, you have a purpose, you have a promise, you have something. You may not know what it is, it might just be something, but he's, he's got something for you. You just know it. What lies between that promise and your possession of it is the valley of Eskol. God sent the children of Israel into the promised land he said, spy it out and come back and tell me if it's not good. And the Lord, they came back and they're like, wow, it's amazing. It's good. It's everything Jesus said it was. But there's giants in the land. There are people way too big for us. And ready? Here it is. I don't have what it takes to do that. I am insignificant in light of what he has said. If the vision isn't bigger than you, it isn't from Jesus. I can assure you of that. If the vision is within your ability to achieve it, it is not from Jesus. I didn't say there wouldn't be starting points. You might be able to achieve the starting points because that's how he works. He'll tell you this, and the only thing you can do is this. But he's not going to give you that until you start doing this. But we want that. But you've got to do this first and march your way forward. What has God told you? He said, this what separates this is, is fear. Fear of failure. This is something you need to root in your heart. Say this with me. Fear of failure is always greater than the desire for gain. So if you don't confront the fear of failure and deny that, you will never move towards gain. Because the fear of failure will always be greater than the desire for gain. Always. 100% of the time. You'll want something, but the fear of failing is going to be right in your way. What are you afraid of? The way you get through the Valley of Eskol is you've got to confront your fears. What promises are you too afraid to possess? I know people who won't get married because they're too afraid something's going to go wrong. Yet they'll tell me over and over again, God's called me to be married. God's called me to be married. Now, if God's called, if that's your promise, then what are you afraid of? Then step into it. And they go, well, you know, 50% of all Christian marriages fail. And I would say that's not an accurate statistic. 70% of evangelical marriages succeed. Evangelical Christians are not like every other Christian. How many knows there's lots of Christians that don't believe Jesus is God, yet they profess him as Lord? There's lots of Christians that don't believe the Bible. Lots of them. I know this is hard for you to understand. 
There's a major church in Dallas. I just read about it when I was out of town. Major church, big church. Guy came out and said the Bible, he doesn't believe in the Bible. Young guy. Oh, we just don't believe in this book anymore. Thank God most of the, most of the people left. This is a church with a lot of people and a lot of budget. Evangelical Christians love Jesus, follow Jesus, honor Jesus, and do what Jesus says in spite of themselves. That's the difference. Those marriages have high rates of success. So I don't know what God's told you. Some of you, you've had a job. God's promised you something. He's told you. He's like, well, God told me I was going to have this job. Well, are you prepared to take that job? No, I haven't really prepared myself. Well, how do you know the job's going to come? Unless you prepare yourself for what he said. Some of you have dreams and visions of what he's told you. Some of you have purposes, but you're too afraid to possess it. So, so long as you hold it up as a dream, it's safe. The way you get past this is risk. You have to risk. It's not risk, blind risk, calculated risk, as God would guide you. But you have to risk. If you're not willing to risk, you're not going to inherit the land. This generation wouldn't risk. They were too afraid to cross the river. They thought too many things are going to go wrong. I don't have what it takes. I'm insignificant. These people are giants. They know more than me. They come from better families. They got more resources. They have all this stuff. What do I got? I don't have anything. They had God. That's what Joshua and Caleb said. We can do it because the Lord is with us. And all they had to do was follow the stepped plan that God would lay out. And when they did go in to take the land, 40 years later, after, after the unbelieving generation died, I always make this point, this entire generation died on the other side of promise. God had promises for them, but they never entered into it. You understand that? You say, oh, I don't believe that. God, you will, you will die on the other side of promise if you do not get the courage to begin to step into it. When they began to step into courage, if you look when they began to go into the promised land, God gave them a stepped set of instructions. Go do this, bring the priest across the river. Okay, priests across the river, now bring the people across the river. Now set camp over here. Okay, now this is what I want you to do. We're going to take that city right there. Here's your instructions. Watch Jericho. March around it one day, every day. Six, and all, you guys know the story. Blow the trumpet. Wall's going to come down. He gave them a stepped set of instructions every part of the way. But God wouldn't give them one step of instruction until they were willing to step into the risk. If you are not willing to step into the risk, he is not going to give you an instruction. I hate to tell you that, but that is truth. It's a culture, you know, part of the culture is it's a culture of risk. God is a risk-taking God. I love to say this. He has no confidence, say it with me, he has no confidence, has no confidence in, me, in me, but he has absolute confidence in himself, in you. If you think it's all about you, you got it all wrong. You think he tells you to do something because, man, I must be the man for the job. I'm God's anointed man of power for the hour. It has nothing to do with you. He has no confidence in you, but he has confidence in himself in you. That's it. So what are you waiting for? Yeah, you just all he all he needs is a partner. That's how the spiritual kingdom works. It works through partnership. He needs a partner. He's someone willing to step out and go and someone willing to step out and do. That's what he needs. You won't enter into these places. You won't cross the valley of these from promise to purpose or promise to possession until you begin to deal with fear, until you begin to deal with risk. And understand that. That's where you have to go. There's many of you, this is where you're stuck right now. And you're waiting on Jesus, and he's waiting on you. What has he told you to do that you haven't done? What steps has he told you to take that you haven't taken? What are you too afraid to proceed on? Well, he's going to do it. I mean, I, I think it's like we think Jesus is Reader's Digest where he shows up with a, with a balloon and a check going, congratulations. He shows up wearing Dickie's overalls and goes, let's get to work. That's how it works. The glory of the gospel is in a four-letter word called work. Work. Divine partnership. Man was to work. I don't know if you're aware of that. When God created man, he was to work the soil. He was to work the ground. He would, but in partnership with the Lord. He was never created absence of work. Jesus didn't say, sit in that hammock right there. Once, it was, once, the earth, once the environment was created and the relationship was established, the Lord said, create culture, bring heaven down, work. On earth as it is in heaven, Jesus would say. Then you have this other valley, and this is the valley of dry bones. Very familiar in the book of Ezekiel. What is the significance of the valley of dry bones? Valley of dry bones, ready? It's all of your past mistakes. 
It is the failures. God brings Ezekiel into a direct confrontation with not just his mistakes, but the mistakes of his ancestors and the mistakes of all of his people. God had called them to be an army, but yet they lied. They're, they're, that nation lied as dry, dead bones on a ground because they had made nothing but mistakes and willful, unsubmitted rebellion against the Lord. Therefore, their bones lied in valleys. And God brings them right into the confrontation of mistakes. And, in, and people have stopped at the point of their mistakes. You don't know what I've done. You lie dry, rotting, dead. Purpose has died. Vision has died. Faith has died. Hope has died. Because your mistakes. I didn't do it right. And the Lord looks at him and goes, do you think these bones can live? What a question. And Ezekiel, wise answer, I don't know if I could, I don't think I could say a better answer. He said, I don't know, Lord. You, only you know. That was his answer. He said, son of man, do you think these bones can live? Do you think I can do anything? This thing that lies dead on the ground, this thing that lies dead before you, all of these issues that have preceded you and followed you and been upon you your whole life, do, they, do you think I can do anything with them? And Ezekiel goes, I don't know. I got nothing. I think you got the answer. And so the Lord doesn't even answer in an affirmative or not. He just gives him an instruction. And what's he say? Prophesy. Say it with me. Prophesy. Speak what is not as though it were. Call into life what is dead. It's dead. We have a God who, who gives life to the dead and calls what is not as though it is. It's a failure. This failure will be a setup for my next success. This failure is nothing more than a stepping stone into my next opportunity. Prophesy. Prophesy. You don't have to lie dead in the valley. It doesn't have to lie. That's what Ezekiel told them. We have to be willing to confront our mistakes. This is what it looks like. Okay, I completely screwed up. Why is that so hard for us? Because we can't forgive ourselves. We feel worthless. What if it, that there was no, no matter God would describe any low value of worth to you? He loves you while you're yet sinners. How much more does he love you now? It doesn't matter. I don't care if you blew the whole house up or what doozy you did. If you'll offer it back to the Lord, God will move it forward. He'll move it forward. He doesn't look at you any lower than you already are. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If anything, he's going to give you instructions on why this went sideways, why this went south, what signs you missed, what the opportunities were that you didn't take. But he tells Ezekiel to prophesy. Call it what is not as though it were. I think in this area, the biggest thing Christians have to do is forgive themselves. Crickets. I think the biggest area is that you've got to learn to forgive yourself. You can't forgive yourself for past mistakes. You have to unify that. You've got to learn to forgive yourself. You can't move forward unless you forgive yourself. First of all, you can't move forward until you look at it. You have to see it. Number two, let's say it together. See it. See it. Own it. Let it go and forgive myself. You can't change it. But you got to see it. Okay, there it is. That looks pretty bad. Yeah, uh, this was probably 80% of this was my doing. Okay. Well, Lord, I want to give it back to you. I want to release it to you. I just want to let it go. I'm asking for wisdom to move forward. And then, I need to, then you need to forgive yourself. You need to let yourself go. Forgive you. Valley of dry bones. Next slide. That's where we stop. We stop in between these places. We're stopped in this valley because we can't get past it. Valley of Baca, last valley. This comes from the Psalm 84. What the Valley of Baca was, okay, we have the city of Jerusalem, which were the abiding presence, the Shekinah glory of God abided, his abiding presence. So now we have the abiding presence in the glory of the Holy Spirit. But before the Holy Spirit was released, because Jesus had not risen, the Holy Spirit abided, the abiding presence of God abided within the temple in Jerusalem. And so if you wanted to encounter the presence of God, you had to journey to Jerusalem. Well, in order to get to Jerusalem, they, had, they were up, they had to go down, they had to go through a valley, and then they had to ascend into the city. So even to get to this higher place of God's glory, they had to pass through something. And it was called the Valley of Baca. And in the Valley of Baca, nothing grew. It was dry, it was arid, and there was, say with me, no joy. No joy. We act like 
We're just supposed, we're just joyful at all times. Yes, the joy of the Lord is our strength, but at the same time, we go through things. We go through difficult times and difficult seasons. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord, whose hearts, say it with me, set, set. on the journey. In other words, I'm going to get there no matter what it takes. I'm going to get through this no matter what it takes. As they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of dryness, the valley of pain, the valley of sorrow, the valley of nothingness, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain covers it with pools and they go from strength to strength until each appears before the glory of God in Zion. They make it a place of springs. What does this look like? You're going through stuff, right? You're going through stuff. You don't feel like praising God. You don't feel like worshiping. It was a friend of mine, a guy I know. His son died in a car accident. Terrible. And he was just completely numb and completely checked out for a couple of years. Rightfully so, some would say. Like, how do you deal with that? How do you, like, come around that? How does that even, you know, I mean, what world is that? And he had a guy tell him, you need to praise God, Steve. And so Steve, knowing all of these things, and the guy's like, no, listen, you got to praise God. So long story short, he went home, he locked himself in a room. I've shared this story here before. And he locked himself in the room, and he just started going, I praise you. Yeah, that's right. That's what it looks like. I praise you. I thank you. Well, I thank you that I'm breathing. I thank you that the sun is shining. And as he began to enter the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, the presence of the God began to manifest upon him. And that dry place became a place of springs. You understand? We're going through things. The Bible tells us to dig wells when you're going through them. So what does it look like? I'm dry. I'm painful. I'm going through this. The Bible says find a reason to give thanks. Dig a well of praise. And here we go. So this is what we do. We teach that one. But we don't teach the succession of wells. In other words, one well may not be enough. You may be going through something that's long and protracted and something you have no control over whatsoever. One well isn't going to get it done. So you might go and you might dig the well. Whew, okay, I feel better. All right, I feel better. I'm good today. And then you might start off and then it hits you again. Ah, oh, I'm not past this. I'm not past this. Dig another well. Dig another well. Get up, go, dig another well. Dig another well. How many wells do I dig? As many as it takes. What often happens within Christianity is we tend to, well, if you were past this, brother, you know, the joy of the Lord, you should be past this. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. God's not interested in whether or not you're past it. He's interested in whether or not you're digging wells. He'll get you to Zion if you just keep digging wells. He'll get you to where you need to be if you just keep digging wells. You understand that? You say, I don't feel like it. Well, that's the point. Nobody does. Dig the well. Dig the well until the water flows. And I said, first, second, first service is like, get some people around you that are going to help you dig, man. This is the attitude change that's got to help, just got to change within the church. Man, you're still going through that? Instead of going, I can't believe two years later, you're still going through that. That's how we act. When the attitude should be, you're still going through that? Let me dig a well with you. Let me help you. Let me put my hands on the shovel and let me bring some life to your ground. Let me put water in you. Drink from my spring. Let me walk with you. That's what we need to be. Instead, oh, I can't believe you're still going through that, brother. If the Lord was with you, you wouldn't be going through that. Really? Really? I love those kind of comments. People don't say that to me anymore because I directly challenge those statements. I'm like, can you show me that in your Bible? Because I can show you a whole number of things that are direct conflict to what you just told me. It's as much as it takes. God's not interested in, in the pain. He will get you through the pain if you keep going through the valley and dig as many wells as you can. Find safe people and go, man, I need you to dig a well. I'm down. I need you to put life over me. I need you to speak a word. I used to go to the Lord all the time. Tell me again how you see me. Tell me again. And you say, well, he's told you a hundred times. So, well, let's go a hundred and one. Let's go a thousand and one. Do you know why? Every time I've gone to him, he's always spoken life. Every time. Tell me again, this is what you want me to do. Because, Lord, I've lost the script here. I'm going out this way. And now I'm really far out there. And I have no navigating points at all. 
but I believe this is what you told me to do. Tell me again. I told you, Kevin. Keep going. Every time, the Bible says, all who come unto me, I will in no way cast away. If you need guidance every day, every minute, every hour, he'll give it to you. If you need an affirming word and you need a blessing and you need something imparted to you by his spirit, get in his spirit and you will have it every single time. That's how much he loves you. I don't know if you're aware of this. Holy Spirit manifests himself in you, through you, and upon you immediately. That's how much he loves you. You don't have to wait an hour. You don't even have to book an appointment. He comes immediately because he loves you that much. The question isn't whether he comes or shows himself or moves within us. That's not the question. The question is whether or not we're inviting him. Are we digging the well? That's the question. Find a reason. Find a reason. Come on. Say it with me. Find a reason. That's it. Find a reason. Place to place, well to well, until they get through. Last slide. So what do we remember in the, in, the, in the valley? As we're going through the valley, we need to remember you're not alone, right? Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the what? Ooh. Yes, as I run through the fields, Jesus. As I skip upon the high places, then and only then are you with me. No. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as your presence is with me, shadow comes only because of light. Because of his presence, God's able to show you, look what you're walking through. Look what you're going through. Look what's all around you. Look how powerful you are. Just keep going. I will walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. If you read this psalm, this is a really cool thing. If you ever read Psalm 23, God is, when David is speaking, he says, he makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But when he gets to the valley... He goes from he to you. You see the pivot? No longer is it. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He blesses me. No, Lord, you are with me in the valley. Now it just became personal. Now it just became real. Now it just became intimate. And that intimacy begins when he starts walking through the valley. We have to practice the presence. When you're in the valley, man, practice the presence. Dig the well. Practice the presence. Holy Spirit, come. Get in. This is a well. Church is a well. I don't know if you're aware of that. You walk out of here, you're going to be feeling pretty good. Okay? Like pizza. Even if I didn't get all the ingredients right, it's still going to be pretty good. Okay? You're still going to get something out of it. You're at least going to go, well, I feel better because the atmosphere is here and the Lord's here. This is a well. Dig wells. Get in his presence. Get his power. Get his provision. Get his purpose. Realize that power is going to wane. Sometimes I feel like I can take the whole world down. And then there's other days I don't even want to walk across the front door, the threshold of my front door. And you know what the indicator is to me? The enemy wants to go, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Well, there's nothing wrong with me other than the fact that I'm not in the spirit right now. That's where my power comes from. Yeah. My weakness is in my flesh. We cannot condemn your weakness. You must glory in your weakness. For in your weakness, his strength is perfected. For I know that when I am weak, his spirit can come and move, and I am strong. Come on. Isaiah, though you go through deep trouble, I will be with you. Come on, say he's with me. He's with me. In the waters of great trouble, Jesus is with me. You don't have a friend like that, man. There's nobody like Jesus. And nobody like Jesus. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, say it with me, I will not drown. When I walk through the fire of oppression, help me out. When, when I walk through the fires of oppression, when everything is against me, I will not be burned up. And the flames will not consume me. Because he is with me. This is gospel. This is truth. Circumstances are going to tell you you're going under, but your Bible tells you and the Spirit of God says you're going over. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? There's a purpose. Say this with me. There's a purpose in the process. God is doing something in the spaces in between. Many of you have been in long seasons of transition, and there is purpose in the space in between. Some of you have been stuck because God has brought you right up to your oppressor, and you won't face it. You won't face it. You won't face what's wrong. You won't face whatever it is that's holding you back. Whatever, all of the oppressions, your attitude, your mindset, your beliefs, your lies, whatever it is, the traumas. He's brought you to a place. And as far as you can go, he will, you cannot go further until you begin to face the oppressor. 
Some of you, he's brought you right up to the promise. And he's given you one simple instruction. But you're too afraid to do that one simple instruction. You can't do the one thing that will lead you in steps to your promise. Because you're afraid. And you wonder, why can't I go any further? Because he's brought you here. And you're right up on it. He's shown you this. And he says, do that. And you're too freaked out to do that. You're too freaked out. Some of you, you come up and God has brought you to the place where you need to deal with your past. There are some issues, generational issues. There are some lies that have been embedded in you. There are some things that have happened to you. There's some failures. There's some unforgiveness that you can't get past. And you're wondering why you can't move forward because he's brought you to the valley of the dry bones and you're not going further until you deal with it. This is where gospel becomes reality. You understand? Gospel is reality. Gospel is power. These are promises of purpose, power, and provision that we can experience and change our world with. But if we don't understand that this is what it looks like, and we just think it's pinwheels and cotton candy and skipping and bubble gum and let's blow some bubbles in the air, I'm all for that, man. I'm down. Oons, 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 oons. I'm down. I'm down for the light show. I'm down for the dude with the tats and the mohawk rocking it out on the guitar. I'm down with all that. But this is where the gospel meets the road. This is where where all of the fluff becomes reality. It looks like this. We have to do this or we go no further. Some of you, you're in a dry season and you can't get through because you keep finding all of these excuses. All of these excuses. You don't know what's happened to me. Woe is me. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. No, no, probably not. Nothing's ever happened to you like that. Probably not. But I got some issues of my own. And I guarantee you the stuff I've gone through, you've never been through what I've been through either. So you can find an excuse or you can find a purpose and a reason to thank him in spite of what you're dealing with. It's up to you. But you will go no further. You will die in that dry valley if you don't dig a well. Notice, they dug the well. Jesus did go, woo, let me take care of that for you. One to the left, one to the right, let me dig. Get some angels in here and help you dig. Uh-uh. They had to dig the well. They had to find water. They had to strike it. They had to push into it until they received from it. And you will go no further. The Lord wants to take you to Zion, Christian. Don't die in the valley. Don't die not willing to face your oppressors. Don't die because of fear. God help us. Too afraid? Seriously, man. Go back and read the New Testament. Go back and read the promises. Beat it in your head. Become a programmed robot if you have to. But don't do it in fear. Fear is so insignificant. Fear is a shadow. That's all it is. Fear is a facade. Fear is a distressing emotion of impending danger that has not happened. That's all fear is. There's no reality in fear. I didn't say you don't feel it. Trust me. But there's no reality to it. Come on. Deal with your issues. Deal with your brokenness. Deal with your mistakes. God doesn't love me. Who told you that? You don't know what I've done. There's lots of dry bones in my life. Well, who doesn't have them? We got skeletons in the closet. Let's just kick open the skeletons and let them all fall out. There they are. Behold. (laughs) Here's mine. Here's one. Wow, I didn't know that femur bone was in there. What the heck is that? Come on, let's pray. Stand up if you would. You want to go further? Let's tell the Lord. Say, Jesus. Come on, if you mean it, say it. The Bible says, open your mouth. Let the high praises of God be in your mouth and a double-edged sword in your hand and execute upon the, uh, to bind the kings with fetters and the princes with irons and execute upon your enemies. The judgment that is written, you've got to open your mouth. Say, Jesus, I want to go higher. I want to go through this valley. Lord, I give it all. Give me the courage to realize and face what has been oppressing me and what has made me stuck. Holy Spirit, in your kind, gentle, direct way, Show me what the issues are. Holy Spirit, bring me back to the place of promise. 
remind me of the first step and I renounce fear and all of its kind and I choose faith and I choose courage and I choose risk and I will step into that which you are showing me. Lord, forgive me for all my past failures. Lots of dry bones, Jesus. Lots of skeletons in that closet. Things I don't even want to look at. I give it all back to you, Lord. And I want you to see yourself and I want you to say, Self, you did some bad things. Some doozies. But I want, you to let, I want to let you know that today I forgive you, Self. I let you go. I release all of the shame. All of the guilt, all of the regret, all of the bitterness, all of the unforgiveness. I free you today, self. You owe no more debt to me, and I will hold nothing against you anymore. In Jesus' name, freedom is today. Lord, show me where to dig wells. Help me to dig the wells, but to not quit. Holy Spirit, help me in all ways. I don't want to die in the valley. I want to go to the mountain. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. I was praying this morning, and I was praying over the message a little bit, just trying to interact with the Lord, and I kept hearing him say this word, consummate, consummate, bind them to the message, consummate the message. So I just want to pray that with you. And so I want to pray this over you. May the Lord bless you. Come on, receive it. Receive it, receive it, receive it. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hey, we got a picnic today, so if you all want to come, and we're going to go down to Peacock Park. And if you don't know where Peacock Park is, uh, I just someone was asking me. I said, "Look, I'm a little directionally challenged. If you need biblical advice, I'm your guy. All right. But as far as it, just Google, it's right down the street. So just put it in your phone or map it. And uh, but you're more than welcome to come. You can bring anybody you want. We're just going to hang out there, have a good time. No agendas at all. But come along and bring something if you can. <laughs>